when you're in the deep end, you can't stop. You've got to keep swimming for survival. Now, today we have a very, very interesting guest. He's in food and beverage business, and you may have seen him on TikTok recently. I opened up Moostacks in Hamilton. It generated millions. I built the biggest takeaway kitchen in Britain. That business was phenomenally successful. We used to turn out one freshly cooked meal every 15 seconds. What, what were the challenges that you faced? Challenges? Yeah. I think you've asked me the right question. There are so many gurus out there telling you about the multi-millionaire lifestyle and it's great and cars and houses and what fantastic lifestyle and designer goods. I'll tell you something, I'll tell you the truth. It is totally the opposite. What's your biggest fear? Uh, biggest fear is losing it all. And honestly, that's got me. It's like, the little girl is sitting there totally like this and I thought you know the weight of poverty is this <laughs> so what made you go into Accenture and what were you doing money money so I was in second year law um, and I looked at the Sunday Times graduate 100 list uh, no I looked at the Sunday Times top 100 graduate employers and Accenture was number one. It'd been number one for five years straight. And their salary, their starting salary for graduates back then was £40,000. Wow. And my law peers, if I'd continued down the law route because I was studying law, was £16,000. So I thought, do I want to earn £16,000 or do I want to earn £40,000 with the chance of earning much more in London? So that's why I decided to, to move to London and uh, I got a job with Accenture. Wow. And what, what, what did your day look like? Day-to-day -day activities in Accenture? What were you actually doing? I did deliver IT projects for some of the biggest companies in the world. Barclays, Vodafone, London Stock Exchange, Lloyds Bank. And the biggest project I delivered was faster payments for Lloyds Bank uh, before 2008-9. Is it CHAPS, what we call? Is that what it is? It's, it's now faster payments. Okay. So... Back in 2008, if you transferred money to me online or via the bank, it would take four days to arrive. Oh, wow. And then the government brought out this regulation that the payment has to be immediate. So um, I was responsible for that project for Lloyds Bank. Amazing. Now, I want to go back, back in time. Mm -hmm. um, you said you grew up in uh, Scotland, Edinburgh or Glasgow? Glasgow, Glasgow. nice. And Hamilton, just outside Glasgow. Amazing. And... Um, what is your earliest memory of being an entrepreneur? Like, when did you realize you had that burning desire for entrepreneurship? Was it after Accenture or way before in your childhood? I think it was, um, I think it was after about five years in the corporate world, I realized I could uh, go out there in the real world. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to test my business skills. And it's very well being a, a, a great employee in a large company with a thousand safety nets underneath you. But the true test of an <coughs> entrepreneur is when you go out there in the real world and make it by yourself without any safety nets underneath you. So that's why I decided I really, really wanted to test my own business acumen. And the only place to do that is in the real business world. Amazing. And now, what were you like in, in classroom in primary school? In primary school, I think my grades were always all right. 
they were okay. I wasn't. It doesn't look like you're a guy with aura. It looks like you were what we call buffin. Like, you know, you kind of like, you know, had all the top marks. No, not at all. And there's a reason for that. Um, I think I was not a very good student. My grades were good. My grades were good, but I wasn't a very good student. Time and time again, easily distracted. Ajmal could do better, but he's very easily distracted. And you know that easily distracted? It's very, very, very useful skill in the real business world. Because when you're running a business, you need to know what's going on. You need to know what marketing's doing. You need to know what this department's doing. You need to know what's happening in the kitchen. You need to know what happened, what the sales te teams are doing. You need to be finger on the pulse. You can't be there like a donkey with your blinkers on and just focusing on the one task of memory. So that's what school taught me. Um, uh, the fact that uh, pure memory is good, but it's not relevant in the real business yeah. world. So they, they diagnosed that you were quite, you get just distracted quite easily. Easily distracted. Easily. But in the real business world, being easily distracted is actually a key skill because it just helps you keep your finger on. You know what? I never looked post. at it this way because I always thought, you know what? You need to be focused, you know, on whatever you're doing. I mean, where do you kind of balance? Because there's, you have to have certain elements of focus on, on the task that you're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, as you said, like, you know, you need some dis ability to kind of juggle and move, yeah. move around. Right. So if you're an entrepreneur, you are going to wear... 10, 15, 20 different hats a day. You need to be able to juggle different tasks. You need to be able to get get on, on top of all of the different tasks. One minute you're doing marketing, the next minute you're doing sales, the next minute you're the bloody janitor trying to find keys for the storeroom that someone's misplaced. The next minute you, you're doing, um, you know, you're, you've got some staff issues that you're dealing with. So being an entrepreneur, you have to put on many different hats. Wow. Now, in your... I guess in your young days, yeah. when you used to hang out with friends, what were you? Were you a, a leader or somewhere in between or a follower? I think my big brother was a leader. He was he was the oldest of our cousin group of the mates that we used to hang around with. So naturally, he was a few years older and he had the age advantage. So he he was a natural leader of our group. Where where are you guys originally from? Like your family background? Uh, Pakistan. Pakistan. Which yeah. part of Pakistan? Uh, Faisalabad area. Faisalabad, nice, nice. What do your parents say about you? What, what are the kind of uh, observations they've made? I think my parents are my parents are very proud. Not just of me, of all my siblings. My brother's a doctor, my sister's a doctor, my other sister's a scientist, and I was a lawyer. And I think my parents, like many immigrant parents, they came to this country with very little money. They didn't know the language. They didn't have any savings. They didn't know the culture. Um, and the only way they could see their way through this was pure hard work. And then fortunately, my dad knew he had the foresight of thinking, if you really get the kids educated, it could be life-changing for them. So that's why he put so much emphasis on education for us when we were younger. I'll tell you something. My dad used to earn... This is maybe going back 45 years. My dad used to earn 200 pounds a week, right, salary. And of that, he used to spend 60 pound on private tuition for my brothers and sisters. Wow. Yeah, that, that's a sacrifice. So you now, now might see my brother or sister, they're consultants in top hospitals. But I mean, all immigrant families had to make similar sacrifices like that. Are you the youngest or? Youngest. And what age bracket do you fall under? 
What age? Bracket, I'm 48. 48. So thank you for being very precise. You've already told us why you kind of quit um, your your job at Accenture. Obviously, it was the burning desire to really kind of test your skills and put them to a test. Why? Like, how did pizza business come about? Like, how did that? Why did you choose that? So I was brought up in the restaurant business. Uh, from the, I've worked in restaurants from the age of 15. So when I moved to London, I was obviously working in the corporate environment and I loved working with food. And I thought it's the one thing that I really know well. Um, and that's why I decided to go into the food business. And also 8 billion people in the world think about food every single day. So you might as well um, start a business where there's plenty of demand. Okay. And um, you could have chosen something else, like you know, food related, but pizza i'm sure there was a kind of logic behind right. okay. pizza so i started off in the indian food market okay uh, i opened up mustaks in hamilton uh, it generated millions i built the biggest takeaway kitchen in britain um, that business was phenomenally successful we used to turn out one freshly cooked meal every 15 seconds this thing was on a whole different level then lockdown hit we closed the restaurant and I thought, right, I've got some free time and energy. Right, let's start the pizza business. So the fundamentals of cooking a pizza or a curry are exactly the same. You still need good staff, good cooking equipment, quality ingredients, uh, quality control, a fast delivery, good customer service. The fundamentals of delivering a pizza are exactly the same as delivering a curry. So that's why I decided pizza um, is probably the best multi-billion pound market to tap into. And think about it, Kazi. You've been in a group of people and you're going, thinking, where shall we go for a meal? When it comes to Indian food, there's always one or two people that say, oh, no, I don't like pizza, it's a bit spicy. I, I, don't like, I don't like curry, sorry. I don't like curry, it's a bit spicy for me. But no one dislikes a slice of pizza. Have you ever met anyone who doesn't yeah. like pizza? Yeah. So it's a mass market produce, mass market appeal, and the market is vibrant. That's why I decided to move into the pizza business. And what year are we talking like? So Mushtaq launched when? 2009. Okay, it's not that long ago. Yes, 2009 to 2019, 20. And then during COVID, we, we opened up Boss Pizza. So Mushtaq still exists? Still or? exists, still going very well. But my I mean, focus now is in growing Boss Pizza. So Boss Pizzas came around since lockdown. Yeah. So, I mean... How many stores have you got now? So we've got three open just now. We're opening up two in London, two in Dubai, one in Zimbabwe. So we've been going for three years and we've opened up four stores. And you might think, well, that's a bit rubbish. That's not very good. But what we've done in the last three years, we have spent all of our effort building a solid foundation. And no one sees that. The distribution center, um, the training facilities, the franchise, franchise support centers, operating models. We have spent all of our time building a solid foundation. So when we start to grow, it's like a skyscraper. You can scale very quickly and grow very big. Now, I'm sure you've had a lot of kind of setbacks along the way. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us about some of the stuff that people don't really kind of get to know? But I would like to know, you know, what were the setbacks and you know, what, what were the challenges that you faced even throughout the pandemic, before pandemic? I mean... Challenges? Yeah. I think you've asked me the right question. 
there are so many gurus out there telling you about the multimillionaire lifestyle and it's great and cars and houses and what fantastic lifestyle and designer goods. I'll tell you something. I'll tell you the truth. It is totally the opposite. Running your own business is probably the most difficult thing you can do. And I'm speaking from experience. For the first six years of my business, I hardly saw my son for, I hardly saw my son, period. I was just working constantly. I was in the deep end and I was, I was in the deep end swimming. And then people might say, oh, you should take a break. When you're in the deep end, you can't stop. No. You've got to keep swimming for survival. So the business became incredibly successful and I've sacrificed everything at this point. I've sacrificed everything for this business, so I've got to take it seriously if it wants to succeed. So the business was very successful, but it came at a massive personal cost. Didn't see my family, didn't see my, my, my child, um, didn't have a social life. So it was a, a lonely existence for six years. I've seen somewhere where you kind of, um, so your wife as well, kind of, you guys both kind of quit your jobs. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. So you kind of burnt all the bridges behind you and you just went all in. Yeah. And you said you said somewhere as well, like you mortgaged your house or, or you kind of take, took every savings everything. out. Everything. Put everything into that business. And see, the stakes were the stakes were so high. You have to make it a success. There is no option. That's why we didn't take holidays. We didn't take any breaks. We didn't buy or treat ourselves to nice cars or anything like that. It was just... It was pure work for six years. Um, and now, um, my God, what a transformation in our lifestyle. What were people saying, though, when you left Accenture, which is a very kind of, from a, from a kind of profile point of view, it was very top, good. Top-tier top job. Yeah. I left a top-tier job to work in a restaurant, to run my own restaurant. That, that's crazy. People thought I was crazy. And even my parents are like, are you, are you, <laughs> are you sure? You've just qualified... Um, you've been to university, you've got the best, you've got a dream job and you want to leave all that to run your own business um, and they just couldn't understand it. No one could understand it. How long did it take for them to kind of grasp that, okay, he's on to something now? I think after about a year, a, a year to 18 months when the business was just operating on a whole different level. It was just growing so fast. Wow. And the sales were just... The sales were just beyond anything that my, my parents could have ever even comprehended. Wow. So in terms of obviously, how did your role in Accenture, how did that trans or translate into what you were doing in Mushtaqs? I think Accenture helped me immensely because in Accenture, it's all about delivering a quality product. It's about systems. It's about training. It's about quality. It's about excellence. And all of those things, if you translate into a food business, are universal. You know, they're totally relatable. And I think moving into the restaurant business with such a professional outlook and approach really helped set our business, set, set our business apart from everyone else's. Now, I have one small request to make to you. If you would kindly, kindly subscribe to this channel. This will help us bring even bigger guests. So how do you maintain consistency? I mean, obviously, I know you're big on training. I mean, mm. is training the, 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 the answer to maintaining consistency? Or do you still have to kind of really kind of have a very, very high expectation of your business? 
you've got to be in business you've got to be consistent you've got to turn up and deliver every day it doesn't matter if you're tired it doesn't matter if you're in a bad mood it doesn't matter whatever's going on in your life you've got to turn up and be consistent and i'll give you an example so when i established mushtax to being the success it became i would make up the spices for every single item of food that's being cooked in the business right and i would be in the kitchen alone at one o'clock in the morning measuring out all of these spices to the gram right see that job that job was the most boring mundane task in my diary but it was the most important because it guaranteed consistency for a product but standing there at one o'clock two o'clock in the morning sometimes doing spices i would only do them when no one else is in the kitchen because that was our that's our intellectual property that's our trade secret so you had to do it during the night so nobody yeah Okay. Did that, did that for seven, eight years. And only after eight years, I realized, yeah, maybe I could offload this. Uh, maybe I could delegate this to one of my trusted chefs who's been with me for 10 years. So now it's done by someone else, like a trusted chef. Yeah. Um, what, are there any risk mitigation plans in place if something goes wrong? Well, I, I guess you would jump in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if it's not being done right, I, w- I would step in. Uh, and and do it. but I mean I eat the food almost every other day so we test the product at dinner time every day so every other day so amazing do you read any books uh, I, the only books I read the only books I've never read a novel in my life right the only books I read are business books can you recommend a few yeah so there's three that spring to mind the best book that I have ever read in my life and I read it in two days my sister's a barista. Okay. I think it's by John Simmons. It's the story of Starbucks, how they grew from one store to being the global phenomenon they are today. And it's just fantastic because it tells you about the power of three. There's three co-founders. Uh, Starbucks is the third place. It's not a meeting place. It's not your home. It's the third place. So there's lots of little lessons um, and business principles that I learned from that book and uh, that I applied to my first business. Um, and it really made a big difference. So that's Book number one. Book number two, uh, Brand Failures. Uh, I think that's by Matt Haig. And again, in business, um, we've got the benefit of uh, reading into history. Other big companies have made big mistakes. So that book is fantastic from learning what not to do in business. Um, and my other favorite one is brand success. So it's, it's the cousin, it's the sister book <laughs> that brand failures. So, I mean, all the business lessons are laid out for you, um, good and bad. So I think it would be foolish not to tap into that wealth of knowledge. And there are some people who might say, you know what, like, they don't like to read books. Mm. I mean, business, entrepreneurship and reading books or listening to books for me, it's, it's very important, but mm. I guess from what I understand from you as well, it's, it's, it's very crucial. Crucial, but now you've got TikTok and you can get business bites, you can get business lessons True. in 30 seconds. I've learned a lot from you. Oh, thank you very much. And that's how I guess come across your, your profile. And, right. and I guess what I understood from your TikToks was it's all about cost. One bit of video that I think did really well was the pizza cost. Yeah. How did that idea come about? Were you thinking that this video is going to do well? Right, so that video has had millions of views. Yeah. It's the profit margin in each pizza, right? I wanted to 
bust the myth out there. People think anyone running a business, they're massively successful. They're rolling in the money. You make so much money, it's incredible. But no one actually realized the profit margins are so thin and you have got to work so hard to even make a decent living. And that was the purpose of that video to highlight exactly how much, um, how much profit is actually in the food business and how much of the, the, the sales the government takes. The government takes almost half of what we earn one way or another. You know, someone said to me once, in pizza business, the only costly thing is the box. <laughs> the box, yeah, the dough's free, the cheese is free, <laughs> the labor's free, the toppings are free, the premises is free, uh, the rent is free, the pizza <laughs> machines are free, everything's free, the only thing you pay for is the box. Oh, so people actually, and this is the reason I started my TikTok, I'm going against almost every entrepreneur's TikTok or YouTube um, account. I'm just sharing the real lessons in business, the real hardships in business. And I've been accused of being negative. I'm not negative. I'm realistic in my, in my delivery of information. And when did the uh, TikTok journey come about? TikTok journey came about only last year. I started last year. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and what triggered that? I, I like TikTok. Um, the reason I like TikTok you can deliver the message within 30 seconds and that's it. If you go to YouTube for the same information, um, it's like light bulb, how to change a light bulb. You go to YouTube, this is what happens. Hi guys, thanks very much for joining my, uh, for, hi guys, thanks very much for watching this video. In today's video, I'm gonna show you how to change a light bulb. Uh, if you like watching people change light bulbs, subscribe, like for more, I share these videos. <laughs> Oh, nonsense. Five, five minute nonsense. And then there's 10 seconds of him changing a light bulb. <laughs> you go to TikTok, how to change a light bulb. Here you go. That's how you, cha how, that's how you change a light bulb. TikTok gets to the point very fast and there's none of the fat. There's none of the, the chat that doesn't add any value. That's why I like TikTok. It suits my style. I'm a very direct person and TikTok is perfectly suited to my type of content. Do you think... TikTok also forces you to be th more focused and like really kind of think oh, what's yeah. going to add value. Yeah, you've got to get to the point fast. You've got to hook in the audience within two, three seconds. You've got to deliver your point and add value to the consumer all within the space of 20, 30 seconds. Now, that was the good days when, when, when people got a lot of views. But I mean, what's your kind of... Um, views on TikTok now? Has that changed or, or is it still as powerful as it used to be? If you are delivering value to your audience, that will remain. People will always subscribe and follow you. Fact. It's as simple as that. What's your current following? I didn't check no. recently. Well, I started off uh, within six months, I was up to like 40,000 and then I took a six month break, but I've just started up again. So I'm up to about 50,000. Why did you take a break? Uh, it's hard. <laughs> uh, filming is hard uh, when you've got to do everything else as well. I'm running a multiple businesses. I've got a family. Um, I like to have time off now. Um, so, uh, you know, running a full time account is it's hard and it's expensive as well, which is why there's not that many business TikTok creators out there. You know, the, the ones that are, you know, they've got a bit of money behind them, like Gary Vee, that. There's a few guys in America, you know, like it costs thousands of pounds. Alec Hermosi spends 20, 30,000 pounds a month putting out his videos. 
it costs a lot of money, and you'll know this as well. Yeah, it's not cheap to rent out these uh, podcast studios and get them edited yeah. and put the clips out. It's, it's thousands of yeah, pounds. Yeah, it costs a month. money. Yeah. Uh, so I took a wee break, um, and now now I'm back in the game. Do you do everything yourself, or do you have a team around you that does all your contents, or, or how does it work? So I, I, I've got a, the knowledge comes from my brain, but the technical setup, the cameras, the HD, sick. 4K, whatever it is, the editing is all done by my team. Nice. I saw one video where you were talking about your house. Mm-hmm. And it's very impressive. I mean, um, I hope we can share that video on the screen. It's a really big, tall ceiling, and you had to have the kind of handrails a certain size. Like, why did you want to do it? That staircase is the centerpiece of my house. So my house is nice. So I think it only makes sense that the centerpiece of the house is as grand as it could be. Um, and I've always fancied having a really grand palatial staircase. And uh, that's the reason I, uh, I went for that. That took two years to put in. And was it your one of your own requirements that it needs to be that, yeah. that thick? Everything was, the handrail was chunky. The, the, the wood that we used is Indian rosewood. Uh, it was imported. Everything's hand-carved. I think only when you step into the staircase do you get a sense of the scale of it. When you see pictures, you think, yeah, that's okay, that's nice. But only when you step into the space, you actually get this, the, the sense of scale. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. It's beautiful. Have you always had that house, or is it after the successes that you've recently had? I bought it after after Mushtax was running for about five, six years. So I've had it for about 10 years now, 10, 11 years. Amazing, amazing. And, and, and that's the thing. Running a business is incredibly hard um, and stressful and challenging. But the good thing is, if you work your backside off and, and get through it for a few years, on the other side, that's where the riches are. You don't just make money after six months of running a business. You have to be at it for a good few years consistently. Then you make your money. So what would you say that that time frame should be? Like from a startup, from starting till where they reach some sort of kind of cruising altitude, Mm. you know, in running their business. Obviously, it's never autopilot for sure. But what would you get? Would you say a time frame that it takes for from startup till some stability? Right. Year one you're going to earn nothing, right? Because everything you're earning, you're putting back into growing the business and establishing it. Nobody knows who you are. So you've got to work super hard and spend all of your resources telling people what, uh, who you are and what you offer. Then after about 18 months, if you've been just banging the marketing drum consistently, after about 18 months, you really start to gain momentum. And then year two, three, that's when you start to really, business really starts to take off. So for me, that was the, the route. And it was after year four, really just the business just started to fly. And then after year six, six seven, it sort of plateaued and it's just been fairly steady since. It's been very steady since. When you hire someone, hmm. what, what are the things that you, you look for? Attitude. Attitude. Nothing else. Is that all? That's it. Take raw talent and attitude. And I train the rest. If you come in with a really miserable attitude and a poor work ethic, I'm not your man, right? If you come to me with a great attitude and maybe you're a little bit weak in your communication or, or, or all of those other skills, 
I don't care because I can train them up and I can mould you and, and help you grow into those in, into the role. Um, so attitude is the one thing I look for more than, above anything else. So how? So obviously, when you're scaling any of your businesses, mm. obviously you need loads of yeah. people. Yeah. How would you make sure like you're getting the right attitude? Because me being an entrepreneur, you know, it's it's really difficult to hire, yeah. right? Yeah. This is one thing I learned from Accenture. Accenture have they recruit tens of thousands of graduates every year across the world, um, and all of Accenture is homegrown talent. It's people that move up the ladder. That's exactly the same in my business. Everyone starts at the bottom doing the worst jobs possible, and then from there they're moved up the ladder. So like you, you can actually identify someone's attitude from doing sort of menial tasks very easily. So we've got a number like order packing. That may, You might think order packing is just a bit of a rubbish job. It is, uh, right? But see, in that one job, I can tell more about that person's work ethic their attitude, their speed, their eye contact, their smile, than I can in 1,000 hours of interview. How long does it take for you to kind of assess someone, like, okay, if they have the right attitude or not, if you're interviewing them? Well, you can find out within. If they're actually working, um, if they're actually working, yeah, you can tell within within a week, you know, if they've got potential or not. So if anyone asks, if we've got a role, we don't sit and interview, we just say to the rest of the team, right, guys, we need to expand. Does anyone know any friends that are looking for a job? The answer is usually yes. Um, bring them in for a couple of weeks. Uh, someone else is on holiday. Bring them in for a couple of weeks. That's just their test. See, see if they do well in that couple of weeks, we'll keep them on. If they're not, then we'll just say, right, thanks very much. You're here for a couple of weeks. Your couple of weeks are up. Thanks very much for everything. Goodbye. When you're interviewing someone, mm. if they're not doing the trial, obviously trial is one, one way. If you are meeting someone, mm. how do you assess? Are there any particular questions that you would ask or is it you're purely observing their movements? I think everything, body language, eye contact, uh, verbal communication, non-verbal communication, have they got the ability to make a point fast and get, get to the point fast? So the, 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 there's a whole host of things. Um, and in Accenture, I was in, working in recruiting for a while, and it's a points-based system. Um, but if, if you're good at playing the game, you can come across very good in interview. You can sit there and having practiced all interview questions, you can, you, 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 you can smash it. But the question is, when you actually get to your job, are you just as good or is that a bit more difficult? So it, it, it's a tough one. What does it? What does someone have to do to be a good staff and work their way up fast? Generally, generally, again, good attitude, good work ethic, turn up on time, um, uh, be flexible, um, yeah, good eye contact, uh, good smile. Now, I'm not talking like a beautifully dent, you know, dentures or nicely turkey teeth or anything. I'm just a nice smile, pleasant attitude with the customers, pleasant attitude with the team. It's just all of the sort of basic things. Um, because if you're moving up the ladder, then you're going to be leading other, team, uh, other people as well. And you've got to make sure uh, that you're putting the right people in charge. Because if you don't, you could end up pissing off the team below you. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Like yeah. that diplomacy element, yeah. being able to get along with people. Yeah. Um, is super important. Now, obviously, you're a cost man. From what I understand, like you know, you are brutal on your costings and and understanding the cost. But 
how do you balance between cost and quality like what what, what is that tipping point uh no i think i'm a cost man but the first thing i always say the most important thing in business is your product if your product isn't right nothing else matters so if you were to come to my place let's say for a pizza and the pizza is rubbery burnt and rubbish you don't care about the website you don't care about the fact that the 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 person serving you smiled you don't care about the slick design you don't care about the branded cars you care about nothing the, the the quality of the food was rubbish but if the product is good then everything else falls into oh fucking hell all right that ordering on that website was slick as anything yeah the staff in there were really pleasant this door is looking really sharp all of the things fall into place and add up if the product is good but if your product isn't good nothing else matters so for me product is the most important thing in business go for it what's what's your favorite cuisine is it pakistani or or i guess scottish or british <laughs> what i'm confused i think my favorite food is indian food you just can't beat the flavors the quality ingredients the the richness the aromas it's just unrivaled do scottish have any national dishes or or, or what is it especially chips and pie <laughs> or haggis <laughs> what do you like more scotland or pakistan well scotland is my home i've been to pakistan twice in my life once for four weeks and once for three weeks my parents are from pakistan and that's the only connection i have but i consider myself scottish and my home is in scotland amazing Asda or Waitrose? Asda. We don't we don't have a Waitrose in Hamilton. <laughs> if, if if there was one, if there was one. If there was one, listen, I'm not a food snob. For, for me, a carrot's a carrot. You know, like a bottle of coke is a bottle of coke. I, I'm I'm not I'm not snobby or um, thankfully I'm very secure. Uh, I don't care what people think of me. So if I need to go and pick up a bottle of Coke, I don't care where it is. It's just if it's there, I'll go and pick up wherever <laughs> is convenient for me. Nice. Now. What's your biggest fear? Uh biggest fear is losing it all because in business things can change like look what happened with covid you know something else could come out of the blue and totally unravel everything you've worked hard for um for years and you see business failures every day all around you one one day a business is doing really well and within a few months it's collapsed So I think my biggest fear is just making sure that my finger is on the pulse and the business remains a success. Android or Apple? I used to be Android and now I'm Apple. God, God has guided you. Apple. <laughs> <laughs> um what's what's that one were like that you hate about your job? What's that worst thing about your job? My current job? Yeah. Um There is no off button. You are on 24/7. You don't have a weekend. You don't have the evening free. You hardly have any holidays. You're mentally switched on 100% even when you're not at work. And only entrepreneurs in my position would understand that and no one else will. What does uh, So your wife is kind of all in with you. Yep. I mean does she support you when you're away or does she have those moments and why are you like so busy for? No, I've I've got a wonderful wife. She's very supportive. She doesn't work in the business. Now, obviously ever since we've had children, 
Um, but my wife is very supportive. And I think I'm seeing so much stuff on TikTok and this dark feminine energy. You know, there's a few women that are teaching how to manipulate men and get the maximum money out of men. The one thing I would say to every man out there is if, if you want to make it in life, make sure you get a good woman because a good woman can make or break you. 100%. I my, agree my, my wife, for example, is, is very supportive. Arrive home, food's cooked, house is clean. She's looking after the kids. She's got a smile on her face. If I say, listen, I want to risk X amount of our life savings on a new business venture, she'll support that. So she's very supportive, and I think, I think when I look around my peer group, a lot of my friends who are in a similar successful position, they've all got long-term relationships. Um, they've got support from their wives, and their wives aren't really into sort of designer gears or looking fake or all that type of stuff. So a good woman can make or break you. It's interesting you mentioned that about um, feminism movement and teaching women to, you know, behave in a certain way i mean what's your general view on on this i mean how are we i mean it, for me the way i look at it, it's going to get worse and worse yeah i think i'm grateful i'm 48 and i'm not dating imagine dating today it would be it would be horrendous for young young guys because all you need to do is um the, the girls are competing against guys if, if you're 18 19 20 you're competing against guys that are established 25 30 know they've got maybe their own properties or houses or living in Dubai or whatever they just need to DM the girls on Instagram and fly them out there so that's what young guys now are competing with it's very very difficult wow scary yeah. <laughs> what are the quotes that inspire you daily the quotes that inspire me daily leadership know the way go the way and show the way that's one of my favorites know the way go the way and, and show, show the, the way, way. yeah that's how you command maximum respect. As a leader, you've got to be respected, not liked. Um, and if you know what you're talking about, bang, the team listen to you. You know, they've got the utmost respect. So even when I was working in Accenture, even for my own businesses, if I ask you to do this task in this much time, I'm not. that's not hot air. I've already been down that path. I've, I've delivered the same task in the same amount of time. So that's one of my favorite quotes. Um, another one is, if someone lets you down once, it's their fault. If they let you down twice, it's your fault. <laughs> Interesting. And in business, you're gonna get people promising a lot and wasting your time. And you've got to make sure you get good at just filtering out the crap. You know why you say that because, <laughs> Do you fire fast? Uh, yeah. If I have How to. long does it take for you to kind of realize, you know what, this person is not kind of adding the value that I need them to add and they need to go. And there may be one of your, I guess, they were once one of your top, I guess, yeah. allies. Uh, I've not done much firing in my life, fortunately, because I'm very careful in the recruitment process and who we let into the team. It's a bit of a closed club. But in the early days, I had to fire... I didn't fire fast. I fired at lightning speed. Super, lightning speed? Super fast. If I detected someone wasn't on the same page or working against me, no, there was one guy who was working against me. I, I'm, I'm making business. I've just, I've just invested my life savings. I've given up my job. 
I've put everything in this business and I want this business to go in this direction. And this one chef is actually working against me uh, and he's actually creating cliques and telling the staff to not do that and make it more difficult for me. I just had to get rid of him straight away. I'm, I'm not tolerating that type of energy. Now, chefs in a restaurant business is difficult to deal with, isn't it? Notoriously. And how do you, how do you deal with it? Well, again, now I bring in my own chefs, at raw talent, and I train them to my, my system. So you don't look for experience even in chef? No, no. So you build them up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. What annoys or irritates you the most? There, is, there must be a few things that really gets on your nerves. Pointless discussion is a waste of time. Who is the greatest of all time, Messi or Ronaldo? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> and the reason I don't, because that's a pointless discussion that's got no meaningful outcome. If it's Messi, okay. If it's Ronaldo, okay. And what I'm seeing more and more is these pointless discussions. What is a woman? I don't give a fuck, right? I'm too busy over here focusing on my business and building a life for me, my family and my kids. So I waste very little of my time getting involved in these debates and discussions that really add no value to me or my business. What's your biggest weakness? Weak? <laughs> it, so, it sounds like I'm interviewing you like for a job or something. Yeah, yeah. I trust you, I, I'm not. <clears throat> weakness. I'll tell you what my weakness was back in the day in 2010, 11, 9. I've just invested my life savings into this business and it's very easy and that was the rise of TripAdvisor and all it would be is, oh, this place is rubbish. You'd, you'd always get one or two people and see those reviews, those negative review, reviews in the early days, uh, they would really hurt. You know, they would actually distress and upset me, like really? Now, fast forward 10 years, you know, we know about trolls and we know about negative, how to handle negative comments. There's a lot of you know, com commentary out there on that. But back in the day, it was all brand new. So if someone made nasty comments, I would take it personally. So that was a big weakness. But now I've learned, yeah, okay, like you take a thousand people um, there's a, 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 and show them the most beautiful thing that you can imagine. There, there will always be one or two people that think, oh, that's rubbish. So you, you just can't win. You, you cannot please everyone. Dear viewers and listeners, I hope you have been enjoying this episode so far with Ajmal Mushtaq from Boss Pizzas. If you have been enjoying, don't forget to subscribe, like, comment, and of course, share with anyone that you feel will benefit from this show. Those trolls that you mentioned, are there trolls that are doing on purpose, maybe a competing business or from the locality? Is that a thing? Yeah. So what I realize now, a lot of those trolls in the early days were competing businesses because we, we actually moved in and we shook up the market and dominated. So a lot of business owners used to rip down our business, our, our, our billboards, write negative reviews. They just couldn't tolerate the fact that our business was doing well. But now I've just learned to, you know, there's trolls for everything. That is, that is crazy, like ripping up your billboards and advertisements. That is madness. That yeah, is another level. Billboard. These cost thousands of pounds and then you go drive past the next day and someone's ripped them off or peeled some of it off. Just be crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very keen like because you're saying all of this and it's, it resonates with me because we've recently opened up a fast food restaurant just downstairs. Right. And um, yeah, I think we've, we've had similar kind of um, situations, but I think it's kind of kind of stabilizing those trolls.
it happens a lot when you start off a business, but see, after a few years, yeah, you know, you're established and then, I don't know what it is. People feel the need to comment so rigorously on a new food business. Cut these guys some slack. You know, they're working their asses off to try and make a living and they don't need you to come along and give your expert opinion. See, if, you've, if you're that keen on giving your expert opinion, bloody open up a business and do it yourself and let's see you succeed. Never in a million years will you be able to do that. <laughs> now, has money made you a better person? I think so, yes. In what way? In what way? When I go on holiday, I take at least three, four thousand pounds spending money. But that's not to spend on me. I have, I'm blessed I've got everything in life, right? When we go to Turkey, we don't need shirts or shorts or watches or anything. You've got everything here. I take three, four thousand pounds every holiday I go to and I give that money to people who are invisible to holidaymakers. See the guys that are doing the gardening in the searing 45 degree heat, you know, just slipping them some money. The kitchen porter asked, and I was in the Hilton in Dalaman, and I said to the restaurant manager, can I see your kitchen? That was just an excuse. I didn't want to see the kitchen. Um, showed me around the kitchen. When I got to the pot wash area, I slipped the guys the equivalent of a, a month's salary. And I just slipped it to them quietly. Um, and th that gives you such a sense of reward. I was in Tunisia driving along this, the, the beachfront and there's these two women in hijabs, right, pulling wheelie bins. They're the bin collectors. It's like 50 degrees. They're wearing hijabs out there in the searing sun walking and we're sitting in air-conditioned cars and I thought I said to the taxi driver how much do these ladies earn a month and he says this, this much and I got that much money and handed each of them a month's salary um, just like that so when we go on holiday we see the fancy hotels and the beautiful food and everyone's dressed nice but see behind that there's a lot of hardship and poverty and I like I like just donating a lot of money to these people there was one one oh, one really got me. I had a three year, my daughter was three years old at the time. Have you got kids? Yeah. You know, kids don't sit still, no. do they? No. Right, especially at three years old. This lady, sitting in a street corner, she's got a three year old sitting next to her. The woman is selling bread. And honestly, this got me. It's like, the little girl is sitting there, just totally like this. And I thought, you know, the weight of poverty is, is the weight of poverty is, is weighing down this, on this little girl and preventing her from being a child. And that got me. I, I didn't have any money on Which country I, was that? And this was Tunisia as well, on a street corner. And I didn't have any money on me that day, maybe whatever what it was, just 10 or 15 pounds. But I went to the bank the following day. I got 500 pounds. And I gave this lady 500 pounds. And she says, here, let me give you a bread, let me give you a bread. She was overwhelmed and I was overwhelmed as well. And I went to the shop before I gave her the money. I went to the shop, bought the girl some toys, a bottle of Coke for her and her mum and a couple of other little trinkets for the, for the girl that would just put a smile on her face. And um, so I think giving money is actually very important. And see, poverty is all around us, but we don't actually see it. We, we don't see it. We're so busy in our life. We're so busy enjoying our holidays and everything else. But see, next time you go on holiday, yeah, just just look beyond the lavish 
hotels and you'll see the poverty right there. I was recently in Saudi and, and obviously the, the, the room cleaner was coming and obviously it somehow I felt like he was indicating something. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, like I've got money in my pocket. Should I give it to him or should I not give it to him? And, and I was like, you know what? Why is this guy here anyway? Like he's mm. from probably from Bangladesh or somewhere else. Yeah. Like he's if he had the chance, he would probably be in Britain as well. Yeah. Then I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna give him whatever I've got and I, I just gave it and I yeah. just kind of I felt so good. Yeah. That that's a, it does make you feel good. So giving is actually um one of the best things you can do because it really it gives you peace and happiness inside the fact that you've made someone else's life better. And see when I hand out this money. Um, on every holiday I go to, I, I don't take pictures and show. Oh, look at me giving money! Look at me! Giving, <laughs> I, I, I don't do that. I, I just give it, and that's it. And actually, this is the first time I've ever spoken about that. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing because I, you know, I'm moved as well, yeah. and I think I've, I've I, I share similar kind of, I suppose, traits, and I feel the same way. Yeah. Now, is this because you're a religious man, or is it because you're just a human being, and who cares for another? Just human. I'm, I'm a human. I'm not very religious. I, I believe in doing the right thing and helping others. Now, few last few questions. Did you ever turn down big boys in any of your negotiations or, or any deals? You know, yeah, and so how did it go down? So we've had investors um, offering us lots of money. And I've had this for years now. And I've always maintained I'd rather own the majority of my business um, and maintain control, and I'm quite comfortable with that. See, the thing is, I'm successful, but I'm also very content in what I've got. So I've got this much, and if I've got that much, it's not going to make me that much happier. I'm at the stage in my life where I've got X number of properties. If I've got X more, it's not going to make any difference. The headache's going to increase, but the quality of your life is not. Amazing. And... Give me an example of a deal that you've done that has proven to to you to be most valuable. Like, can you give us any specifics? You know how that went about. So I think opening up Boss Pizza has just been a phenomenal business success for me. We're on the cusp of selling one hundred franchises, which will bring us in one point three million pound, and most of that is net profit. You know, that's, there, there's no expense going out against that. Um, and then we're opening up branches. Um, we aim to have an, hundreds of branches throughout the UK very quickly. So that's a very scalable business. Uh, it's highly profitable. And for the first time in my life, I feel I'm on the cusp of something massive. So what what is your business? I mean, what differentiates you? Like, for example, I've, see, I've been seeing uh, Fireway Pizza um, mm. that's kind of growing quite rapidly. How does that compare your business model to theirs or say like the likes of Domino's? Like what is it? What's different about Boss Pizzas? We're bigger, better and tastier. That's a fact. I need to try it. I feel like tasting it right now. <laughs> That's a fact. So we're 40% bigger, uh, 50% better price. Bigger got, as in the size of the yeah, pizza? Yeah, okay. so it's 40% bigger. The price, we're half the price, so 50% cheaper. And we've got 33% uh, more tastier options. So we've got spicy Italian base sauce barbecue and um the, the classic ones we've got more options bigger better tastier that's a strap line and the idea is 
We're tapping into the Domino's market. We're not interested in competing with anyone else, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, all the local Indian um, pizza shops. No, we're interested in chasing after Domino's. We are going toe-to-toe with Domino's. Are you going to make any unique flavors like Indian-based, yeah. I suppose? I think in business, you've always got to innovate and give the customers something new. So I think that's what we're going to be doing. We're every every six weeks, eight weeks, we'll be launching a new flavor pizza, something with a bit of a twist. You've got to, all the big brands yeah. do it. You've got to do it as well. It keeps yeah, I like things, the sign of that spicy, keeps spicy things, pizza. Keeps things fresh, yeah. Now, do you have a physical routine? I mean, you look quite fresh. You look quite healthy. I mean, how do you kind of maintain that? I play football twice a week. Um, and, and that is... Uh, very, very important for me. Got good groups of people there. How long have you been doing that? All my life. I've uh, been doing it for the past 10 years, but after I moved back to Scotland, I've been playing football twice a week for the last uh, 10 years. And then um, I like to go to the gym, but it's, I'm not into bodybuilding. And just to keep physically in okay shape. And it's hard when you're juggling a family and yeah, business. Yeah. It's very easy to put on food. I, I can look at a chocolate bar and put on weight <laughs> you know that, that, that's how my body works so are there any particular times that you lo- you like to go into gym or, or is it just as as and when when you can fit in first thing <clears> in the morning yeah i like that because that's what i've been doing for the last i guess four weeks now right and it's so so much better it's like you just go in and you just kind of get get it out of the way and you know you've got the rest of the day to yourself autopilot the minute you wake up straight to the gym and see when you come home from a hard day's work yeah i just can't be bothered going to the gym um so yeah better to do it in the morning now a lot of people who are watching this they are probably not entrepreneurs yet and they probably want to be an entrepreneur Mm. and i guess one of my key purpose is to try and ignite that spark because i i don't think you can hold hands all the way i think there's a certain stage where you can where you just have to kind of let them get on with it and if they get on with it that's fine and if they don't then they're not entrepreneurs you know what advice do you have for our audiences entrepreneurship is very sexy at the moment everyone's talking about it you've got the likes of gary v grant cardone everyone is banging the entrepreneurship why work for someone else when you can work for yourself just google how many businesses fail in year one two and three uh, and you'll be shocked. So many businesses fail. And that's the reason I, I talk about this a lot in my TikTok. If you are going into business, do it. It's probably the most rewarding, challenging, exciting thing you will you will ever do. But it's also the most difficult and stressful thing you will do. Should they go in business or should they not? I mean, well, okay. Assume someone decided that they want to do it, they really want to do it. Yeah. Like, what are the kind of precautionary steps that they need to take before they embark on this journey? If they decide to go into business, then they've got to go all in, 100%, consistently show up every single day. You're going to work harder, longer, with more intensity than you've ever done before. And if you do that consistently, you'll win. Amazing. And... For those who are kind of in between, would you say, you know what, just stick to a good job and, you know, if you're not sure about it, you know, just be good at your job and be the best you can be? Great point, Kazi. I'll tell you the happiest time in my life, now that I can, I'm 48, now I can look back on my whole life, 
The happiest point is when I was working in London, earning £70,000. That was the happiest moment in my life. Stress-free, had a good job, I didn't have any headaches. I would go to work, come home, enjoy the evenings, enjoy the weekends, enjoy my six weeks holiday. Uh, and I had peace of mind at that point. So for me, if, if now with hindsight, looking back, that was the single happiest moment of my, of my life. And I have one last question for you. And I guess this is more kind of specific to Asians, us Asians. Yep. You know, there's a narrative like if you work for a corporate company, English company or, or, or Western company, then you're kind of you're, see, you're deemed to be successful. I mean, can they not just work with, with their own? And, you know, there are a lot of businesses coming up, you know, that can tap into their uh, intelligence and, and knowledge. You know, how can we entice our own people to really kind of start looking closer to home and, and you know, looking at smaller businesses that they can kind of really help propel forward? Is it their job to propel it forward, though, these businesses? I mean, if, if you're a graduate, would you not rather, for prestige purposes alone and money, work for a bigger company? Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, so like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, don't think, I don't think your race or culture should have any bearing on your decision making. As a graduate just leaving university, I want to work for the best company. And I shouldn't look, is that Asian? Is it, you know, like African? Is it white? Is it, I, sh I shouldn't worry about that. What is the best company for my skill set? There is that company. And I don't care who's in charge, what, what race or demographic or culture is in charge of that company. I'm glad. I'm glad you said that because when I look at people, I just see people. I don't yeah. see a certain color. Yeah. You know, so yes, um, I'm, I'm glad you said that. So I guess this really kind of um, brings an end to our kind of discussion. I think it has been really, really informative. I've learned a lot from you even before we met with those sound bites, um, I guess, uh, quick TikTok yeah. videos. And, and do you know what? I don't know, like, if you, if, you, if you do any consultancy business on the side, then I would love to talk to you further about our restaurant and then how we can kind of um, get your support. But um, I guess that's a discussion to be had offline. But I really appreciate your time. Um, and I hope our viewers and listeners will enjoy and they will take something away that will spark that interest Thank of you. entrepreneurship. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions as well. Were you the guy behind Furnas Airways? <laughs> yes. Like what happened with that? What happened with that is come to a very, uh, it, it came to a grinding halt, unfortunately, just before pandemic. Right. And then uh, that was it. We didn't have the funding to recover from the situation. Hmm. So. Uh, and what are you doing now? What am I doing now? So generally, historically, I've always been in retail, retail business. Um, Suno Musk is our main business. We've got a branch in Silverburn, mm. Glasgow. Um, we operate mainly from shopping centers as a concession. And that's always been our business since 2009. We started off with 600 pounds startup capital, no bank loans, no bank funding, no credit cards, no investors, nothing whatsoever. We currently employ about 300 people um, across five countries. Um, and we've got a few brands kind of um, on the side. So one of them is Buddy's Restaurant, which is a fast food um, restaurant that you would find in, in local places like Tower Hamlets, mm. where they add a twist of, I guess, Bangladeshi or Pakistani flavors into the fast food. And it makes really interesting. And we wanted to kind of take that and make it more kind of mainstream like KFC or something. Okay. And still keep the menu and offering same. 
and um, yeah, that's one of the ones that that's that I'm really kind of excited about because it was it's very old school the way it operates, and I wanted to kind of see if we can add some of the modern touches okay. to it. So that's kind of mainly us retail, bit of fast uh, FNB now, yeah. and who knows? Let's see what's coming. But I think Sunomas has to be the one that's really going to make the impact and and and. And let me ask you again. What, so, what's your favorite business quote of all time? Hmm, my favorite um, or, quote, or or book even like what, what's your favorite? book has to be. Uh, I would say the one that I keep going back to. Yeah, is the No Excuses by uh, book by Brian Tracy. Right. And if it was the second one, I would say it should have been the first one. But I've kind of like kind of read it, read it a few times. It's Think and Grow Rich, because right. that's the one that kind of really triggered all my kind of or it realigned my nuts and bolts in my brain to kind of think in a certain way so that's really impacted right. uh, in a in a very positive way and i suppose the other book that i really like is the 48 laws of power by robert green yeah, yeah. um no i don't agree with all the laws but i guess it's good to know like they're kind of getting used by various people so yeah. you're kind of aware of the situation quote wise do today what others won't so you'll have tomorrow what others don't yeah I don't know who it's by. I think it's Tony Robbins or, or, or yeah. someone. But another one is Steve Jobs one. I'm very fascinated by this man. I don't know, like, no. Yeah, yeah I read a lot of his books. Um, I'm re watching a lot of his old videos. This guy's a genius. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. There's another quote that my dad uses, and I love it. And I suppose it's got the, that Asian work ethic in it. It is work like a slave rest like a king so when you're working you are bloody working your ass off and then when you rest you really rest yeah that's, that's, nice a, that's a good one yeah it's definitely good. a good one so yeah mushtaq ajmal ajmal is, is your kind of uh is, ajmal, mushtaq. Yeah, ajmal mushtaq thank you so much and and i look forward to you know i guess staying in touch and you know i'm sure like you know we can we can keep communications open yeah. and, and and maybe collaborate at some point in the near future let's see Oh, by the way, one last question. How much does it cost to have a Boss Pizza? Boss Pizza, the franchise fee is only £13,500. £13,500. And then we, we cut out the shop. That could be anywhere between sixty and 150000 It depends on the size. It depends on the size of the shop and the condition of the shop. And what areas are you keen on in London at the moment? Uh, we're, um, I've just sold the master franchise for London. We're opening up in Hammersmith and Acton. Acton is opening up in a few weeks' time. I'm actually here to check the progress of the shop. Um, and then we're going to just be opening them up all over London. So is it a master franchisee that's taken the whole of London? He's or? taken the whole of London. And now what I'm doing is I'm selling the master franchise regions for um, other, other, the other major hubs in, in the UK. The idea is I don't want to be running around opening up the stores. or I don't want my team to be doing it. So let's have four, five, six strategic partners all throughout the UK. And they're responsible for developing their own regions. Amazing. So what's available right now? What's available? So the Manchester one's available, um, Northeast Scotland's available, and I think the Newcastle, Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough Sunderland area is available. Nice. So very fast. Fantastic. Very, very quick. All right. Thank you very much, and let's stay in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks.